FOMO. I think that good feedback is a two-way conversation. It's that simple. It's a two-way conversation. If I'm the feedback giver, I'm letting you know what I see in your behavior, your performance, but I'm also asking questions. I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm, I'm trying to understand how you see the situation. I even ask questions when I praise someone. So if someone just gave the best presentation I've seen them give all year, I'll be like, how, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do this time? What was the prep that you put into that? What was the insight that you had? Like, I want to help you reconstruct that again. And so I ask a lot of questions as part of my feedback, even when it's praise, because the other person's going to really enjoy digging into what they did well. That's Dr. Therese Houston, cognitive psychologist and author of Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, everybody. It's so good to be here, and I want to share some interesting numbers with you to start the show. Studies reveal that 37% of managers dread giving feedback, while 65% of employees wish their managers gave more of it. That has been the life of many of us. I imagine a lot of you guys don't love giving the feedback, but you wish you had more of it. And that's actually kind of ironic because we live at a time when we're asked to review things all the time. For example, I will take this opportunity to ask you to review this podcast. Go to your favorite podcast app, subscribe, review, leave a little information. It helps people find the show. It means so much to me to know what you're thinking. Okay, I'm done with that now, but you get my point. There's a lot of asking of reviews, but we have trouble integrating it in other parts of our lives, whether it's professional, whether it's personal. And that's why I want to dive into this critical skill today because we need it. And we need it for work. We need it for life. We need it if we're investors, we're giving feedback to pitches, we're giving feedback as a board member, we're giving feedback to a friend or a family member. We need to learn how to give feedback because if you do it badly, you, you can hurt people's feelings and you can get nowhere. And so we want to figure that out. And that's why I've invited Dr. Therese Houston here. She received her PhD in cognitive psychology from Carnegie Mellon, and she was the founding director of the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at Seattle University. She's also the author of Teaching What You Don't Know and How Women Decide, and her new book, which she's going to talk about today, is Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. And she's really good at laying things out. So what I think you're going to like about our discussion today is that not only we just kind of talk about what is feedback, what does it look like when it's good and when it's bad, but then we get into really how you can make better decisions when you're giving feedback. I think it's really important because let me tell you something, especially now with the Zoom world we live in, you might have to give feedback over Zoom. So there's all kinds of new challenges, but most of us weren't doing very well in the feedback space even before right now. So this is an area where we can all improve, especially me. Now, I will pause here. I'm not going to ask you again for feedback on the podcast because I just did that, but I will say, Love your questions, love your comments, keep them coming. We've had a lot of uptick in responses to the shows. I've been getting a lot of emails. And so I love hearing from you and we're getting more and more people coming to me with things that we can put on after hours, questions that you want to talk about. So please reach out. I love hearing from you. Let's connect at patrickmcginnis.com. You can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis and you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. All right, and now onto the show. So as we saw at the beginning of the show, the stats tell us that people don't like giving feedback. So to start our conversation, I asked Therese this basic question. 
Why is it so hard to give feedback? There are really kind of three reasons that it comes down to. One is we're afraid we're going to crush souls, right? Especially during COVID. Um, we don't want to hurt the other person's motivation. We don't want to hurt our relationship with them. I think the second reason All too often, we assume the other person won't change, so it's not worth the effort to give them feedback. I had this experience um, this past fall. I had hired a a designer, a freelance designer, and her initial designs were really disappointing. And my first thought was, oh, who was my second choice? I'll hire her instead, right? (laughs) And 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 I'm an expert on feedback. Wow, you're ruthless. (laughs) I I was. I was like, oh, no, let's start from scratch. And it's just fascinating because I thought I was getting her best work. And I also thought this would be somehow less work on my part to start all over with a new designer, which doesn't make any sense. But I think this is a common thing that we jump to, that we're getting someone's best work and we don't give them a chance. Um, So I think that's the second reason. And then the third reason... I believe there's an identity issue. We want to see ourselves as the good guy. We want to see ourselves as a caring manager. And if we say that someone is underperforming or that their work, you know, the designs weren't as good as that I need them to be, we feel like we're the bad guy, right? We're suddenly not the caring manager. The truth is, if you give feedback well, you can be the good guy. You're helping that other person improve and you're helping them meet a high standard, which they're going to feel good about as well as you're going to feel good about. So you looked directly into my soul right there um, because I will talk about this later, but I am definitely the guy who doesn't want to upset people. I want people to like me. Yes, everybody. You probably figured that out about me, listeners, but yes, I am. And so that has always been my challenge. Now, it is also interesting, you know, as we think about this, I, you know, I worked in the corporate world for at least a decade, if not more, if I think back to it. And I got feedback like four times, at least that I remember. Maybe there were sort of smaller bits of feedback, but sort of really sitting down and giving me valuable feedback. I would ask for it. And theoretically, we had these 360 programs with reviews and things like that. But to be honest with you, I was hungry for feedback that I didn't get, as were many of my colleagues. So there's clearly an issue here. And I'm just wondering, you know, as we before we get into the topic and, and how we address this issue, just to get kind of definitional terms correct, how do you define feedback? Well, most of us think of feedback as a one-way conversation, right, where one person is telling and the other person is listening. Um, I even looked up the business dictionary defines feedback as, quote unquote, the information sent to an entity about its prior behavior so that the entity may adjust its current and future behavior. I hear that definition, and I think that's the kind of feedback you would give a robot, right? Someone without any feelings. <laughs> yeah, the business dictionary has, it sounds so dead inside. The person who wrote that was dead inside. Dead inside, <laughs> exactly. And and they, they thought they were talking to other people who were dead inside, I think. <laughs> um, I think I, I, I have a different definition of feedback. I think that good feedback is a two-way conversation. It's that simple. It's a two-way conversation. If I'm the feedback giver, I'm letting you know what I see in your behavior, your performance, but I'm also asking questions. I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm, I'm trying to understand how you see the situation. I even ask questions when I praise someone. So if someone just gave the best presentation I've seen them give all year, I'll be like, how, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do this time? What was the prep that you put into that? What was the insight that you had? Like, I want to help you reconstruct that again. And so I ask a lot of questions as part of my feedback, even when it's praise, because the other person's going to really enjoy digging into what they did well. I got to tell you, the the fact that you even think about that and that you prepare for that, you know, a lot of this is probably about preparation as we're going to get into later. But 
it's one of these things like nobody teaches you how to get feedback. It's not like you when you're in graduate school or you're an undergrad or even high school, people are like, okay, now we're going to do the feedback giving unit of this class, right? This is something that we just assume we learn on the fly, which is fine, except obviously it's not going very well. What, where do you, I mean, as you think about it, where do people tip the ones who are giving feedback, where are they learning how to do that? I think most of us learn by trial and error how to give feedback. Um, and I've had the similar experience. I'm doing a, a, a master's program right now through Oxford University through their business school. And we just f- finished all of our coursework. And never once did we have the class on how to give feedback, right? And these are all for leaders and managers. So this is definitely one of the skills we should have. But we learned through trial and error. I um, Before I started giving talks and consulting with companies, I spent almost 20 years giving feedback to professors, helping them get better with their teaching. I'm basically working to make good professors your favorite professors, okay? And I've coached lawyers, I've coached nurses, CEOs, engineers. I even once coached a choreographer on how to give feedback to his dancers, right? And I'm sitting in the corner of the room and there are lines of dancers coming towards me live. And I'm like, whoa, how does he give feedback to all these people at once, right? And, And what I've learned across working in all these different professions is that whatever your line of work, there's a 90% chance you have to give feedback and there's a 99% chance you haven't been taught how to do it well, even how to do it at all. And so most of us do it through trial and error. And what we usually focus on, if it doesn't go well, the error part is we focus on what we said, right? With, that didn't go well. Okay, let me get on Google. Let me let me find different language, right? <laughs> because that conversation didn't go well. So we're so focused on what we say. And what I'm trying to help people understand through my book, like, Let's Talk, is we need to be asking questions. We need to be trying. We need to go in instead of thinking, what do I need to say? It needs to be, what do I need to learn? What's the other person's perception of this? And if you can make that mind sh- mindset that shift, you'll you'll get better at feedback even over the course of the conversation that you're having with someone. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. As you're talking, I have this kind of funny memory that uh, the way I learned to get feedback was and this is pretty weak. So if anybody who I've ever given feedback to you, I apologize, but <laughs> there was this there was this episode of This American Life and Ira Glass interviewed this guy whose job it was to to lay people off. Oh. And he said that every time he would start that conversation, he would always start it with this is going to be a difficult conversation. And so whenever I would have to give people feedback that to me seemed negative or scary or stressful, I would start with that. And um <laughs> They look terrified. So I'm not sure that's the right way to do it. But in order to just just to scope it out here, can you give us an example of 
what effective feedback looks like. And then on on the on the flip side, give us an example of like really bad feedback and, and kind of the implications and the effects that those have in real world environments. Well, I'll give an example that just happened to me last week where I was going to give someone one piece of feedback and I thought it through more carefully and I gave what I think is much better feedback and it improved our relationship. Um, and so the motto here, the, the takeaway lesson for those of you who want to hear the takeaway first is you need to side with the person, not the problem. And I'll unpack what I mean by that. But here, here was the, here's what happened. Here, here was the mistake that I, I was upset by and needed to give feedback on. A professional associate of mine got some important details wrong in an email to a client. It was actually a potential client. So we're trying to woo this person, right? This is important. And she got some important details wrong. And this concerned me for two reasons. First of all, we had to correct it with the client. But secondly, if she's getting these details wrong in an email that she includes me on, what other details is she getting wrong, right? Because I'm not on all of her emails. So this this sent me into a bit of a worry. Um, And so I would have been perfectly justified in saying, let's pretend her name is Lucy. I would have been perfectly justified in saying, hey, Lucy, I'm concerned that that you got those details wrong, that you might be getting other details wrong as well. And that's going to make us look bad in front of the clients that we have to correct these details, right? And that's a classic situation behavior impact model that a lot of us learn. If we, if we learn how to give feedback, that's what we learn, situation behavior impact. Okay. So I might have, I could have done that, right? Patrick, I could have said that and that wouldn't have been awful. Yeah. Lucy, if you're listening, by the way, that could have happened to you, but we're going to turn to what actually. We're going to turn to actually right? happened. Exactly. I thought about this, and I that was that was my first reaction. I almost wrote that email, um, but what I realized is I want Lucy to be on my side going forward, Be- because if I had said that, that would have had her double checking her emails, right? I mean, she would have mm-hmm. been like extra mm-hmm. careful. Oh my gosh, when I include Therese on an email, right? But it wouldn't have helped her solve whatever bigger problem she was facing. If she got too many clients right now, what's go- what's going on right now? She might still be making mistakes. And it would have made her like me less, not like me more, right? So she's not mm-hmm. going to be on my side if I had taken this approach. So I had to think like, okay, how do I take this opportunity? That of Because this mistake is an opportunity and it happens to be one where I'm watching um, and have her walk away as a stronger advocate for me when I'm not watching because that's most of her interactions with clients. I'm not on those. So what I did is, um, I first of all, I provided the correct information to the client um, with her CC'd on that email. And then in a side email right away, I wrote to her and said, hey, Lucy, is everything okay? Right. And my and the, the subject header was just checking in. And I'm like, hey, is everything okay? She wrote back right away, everything is fine. Period. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> Lucy, Lucy is a machine. Yeah, Lucy is a machine, right? <laughs> and so I wrote back a little while later, like, hey, I'm glad to hear everything is fine. I don't know what it's like to do your job, but I imagine it's just like a swell of emails right now, all day long, morning to night. I just want to take the time to check in with you because I noticed in that client email there were a couple details that were wrong, and that's not like you. Period. Right. And she wrote back saying, oh, my gosh, Therese, you're so perceptive. Thank you. I'm, I'm so sorry about that mistake. And and she said, let's catch up next week. It's been hell week. I'll tell you more later. Right. And um, and then what I watched happen over the weekend, Patrick, is I saw her res- like on on the front lead edge of all these different client emails. I got I got I don't really don't get emails from her over the weekend, but she was being really proactive to demonstrate she's on top of all this. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, what I what I liked about how I handled that is I made it about connecting with her and trying to help what is the bigger problem here, as opposed to just like pointing out to her, you can't be making mistakes on emails. That was, that was, that message was in there, but she already knew that she's a professional. Um, and so the outcome isn't that she doesn't make mistakes with me. 
in, in the emails that she sent me, but the outcome is that she's able to solve her larger problem and she feels supported so she can do outstanding work across the board. So it would it w- it wasn't it wouldn't have been terrible feedback if I had taken that situation behavior impact model, but it, w- it wouldn't have been nearly as effective as trying to side with Lucy in this case. Now, I'm curious. It's, so it sounds to me like what you're doing and why it's so powerful is you're really looking for root causes there, not just addressing sort of a branch of the problem and going right to the trunk. Now, I'm curious why an email and not a phone call? Did you think about that? I did. I thought about calling her. She and I do most of our work together over email. Part of it's a time difference issue. We we have maybe one phone call a month. So I thought about calling her, but I thought that would freak her out. And especially if she's mm-hmm. getting details wrong, she's overwhelmed is one of, you know, one is one of the things I'm wondering. Is that what's happening? Is she overwhelmed? So I, I thought I, I'm generally an advocate of doing things over phone or or Zoom, but I thought that that was going to make a bigger deal of it even. If this were the third time it happened, I would definitely have jumped on the phone with her. But this is the first time something like this has happened. And so I was I was trying to play it low key and see if I could help her talk about the problem um, in, in a way that didn't seem overly pressured. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about bad feedback. Bad Tell feedback. me what bad feedback looks like and what happens. Oh, I, I think some of the worst feedback is where... Um, uh, someone tells us the the feedback giver is telling themselves a story and they say that story out loud. So um, a bad feedback would be uh, Lucy. It's it's clear you're overwhelmed, um, Lucy. It's uh, this is this is completely unprofessional. And at least in the U.S., that would be too 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 strong. Um, uh, there's some cultures where that would be okay. Um, but this is completely unprofessional. Um, or even worse than that would be, um, uh, Lucy, um, you're unprofessional, right? The difference there is by, by saying you're unprofessional, I'm giving her a label that's probably unfair. That thing that she did was uh, unprofessional. But by giving her that label, um, I've just suddenly, I've just put her in some category where that problem is entrenched. It's, you know, I have a fixed mindset about Lucy. And that's terrible because now, if you're familiar with Carol Dweck's work on fixed versus growth mindsets, right now, Lucy feels like she can't she can't remedy. She can't change in my mind, right? She can't improve. What's the point of her trying to get better? Because I've already decided and labeled her unprofessional. So when we tell, when we have a story in our mind, and we jump to stories all the time, you know, I jump to the story of like, oh my gosh, Lucy's overwhelmed, or um, we haven't, uh, I haven't made it clear enough of how important these details are, or something, right? I had these various stories. Keep, keep, don't, don't say the stories out loud, <laughs> right? But don't use the labels for people because they're going to, it's just going to flare their defenses and it's going to make them feel like, what's the point? Why should, why should I try? Because she's already made this decision about me. Now, when I think about my own challenges, and I, I want to jump into sort of some of the recommendation stuff in terms of how, uh, there are two archetypes I think of in terms of giving feedback. One is the person who's afraid of upsetting people. And I just, confess that I'm that person. In fact, I have this book on my shelf over there called Having Difficult Conversations, which is by the authors of Yes, Getting a Yes. And so I I, I read that book because (laughs) I don't like having difficult conversations. Um, And so let's start there. For somebody who wants to be like they're afraid of saying something upsetting, what's your advice to them about how to give constructive feedback? 
So one thing to do is to say your good intentions out loud. So um, f- so first of all, don't make it about you. Don't say, oh, I hate feedback conversations, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, it's perfect. I just did. You but, just did, right. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. <laughs> you know, maybe don't start your conversation there because you've made it all about you, not about them, right? And we want to make it about them. Um, so uh, a, a place that I really like to begin is starting with good intentions, which um, might be um, like... Okay, Patrick, I, I, I want to help you get more listeners, right? This 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 is one of the best podcasts I've listened to, and I want to make sure you've got the listener base that you deserve. So I want to brainstorm with you on this. How what could, what might be getting in your way? What might be a limiter for you? And now you're really engaged because you're like, yeah, I want more listeners, right? How do we do this, right? Um, if you can identify a goal that the other person has and you are framing the feedback you're about to give in terms of I want this for you. I know this is important. It's important to me too. So how do we get you what you want? Um, you can. That person's going to be much more receptive to your feedback. There's actually neuroscience research finding that um, if you are about to say something that's unwelcome, um, if you frame it in terms of, I'm going to help you achieve a goal, instead of sounding remedial, it helps that person feel rewarded. So um, well, let me give you a quick example because that's a little abstract. So what if I said to you um, something like, hey, I need you to get on the phone with our London office. Um, we need to resolve those contract details and be careful because they're really, they're really touchy. Okay. Just, just be, be careful and diplomatic. You'd be like, oh, I got to call the London office. What's this problem? And, and it's kind of insulting. Like, you know that they're touchy. Why did she say that? Right. <laughs> You're smart. You can read dipl- diplomacy. But if instead I had said to you, hey, look, I know you want to be working abroad. I've been looking for opportunities for you. Could you get on the phone this afternoon with the London office and work out some of these contract details? Um, and be careful because they're a really touchy bunch. Now that feels rewarding, right? Like, wait, this is something that might lead to something I want, opportunities to work internationally. And it, wow, what a what a pro tip she just gave me about the touchy bunch thing. So um attaching something, attaching something that someone doesn't want to hear to a goal that, that we, you know, they hold dear is, is going to make it actually feel rewarding rather than remedial. Tudo bem, meus queridos fomos sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. So this sounds like the kind of thing that actually you'll game out in advance. You know, I think a lot of us think when we're going to give feedback, it's sort of off the cuff. But the things you're talking about, this is not tactical. This is highly strategic thinking. And that's something, you know, mapping out that conversation before you get started, you'd be able to actually have a strategy going in. Like anything else you want to do in life, having a strategy, you're going to end up in a better place. Now, the other type of feedback that comes to my mind that I'm sure many people listening right now have been on one side or the other of this one is overly harsh feedback. 
So I remember when I was uh, very young in my career at J.P. Morgan, I actually, somebody yelled at me so hard that I, I did not cry, but I wanted to cry because I'd been up for 24 hours. And in fact, years later, I reached out to that person and said like, listen, this is still weighing on me. And he didn't remember. And he said, listen, at the time I was going through a lot of my life, I'm sure I did this and I apologize. And so we moved past it. It's actually a great, it made me feel good. Yeah. But I, this overly harsh feedback, sometimes of course, you're in the moment, you're frustrated, but some people just give overly harsh feedback because I don't know, they're just, they, they maybe themselves don't perceive it as being harsh. So how can we make sure that we are not talking down to people, being insulting to people, or, or, or even causing problems where you say something that could come back to you later on? Yeah, you raise such a good point. I think what's tricky is the person that I think you're describing um, might not have very high emotional IQ. Um, well, so there could be two things there, right? There's some people who are just super direct, right? And if they're super direct, they believe they might have a virtue that directness is the way to go. Um, and you may be someone who prefers a more indirect communication style. So that could be, there could be a disconnect there. And that could be something that you could even bring up as an employee. Like, I think that you have a really direct communication style and, and it's, it's taking me a while to get used to that. So, so bear with me, right? That could be a way that you could address that. Um, but the other issue there could be that, that someone doesn't have a lot of emotional awareness of the impact that they're having on someone. I had a boss who used to get really, she was, she was great 85% of the time in terms of her mood, but in the 15% of the time that she was angry and she would get really angry, wow, I, she was so harsh in her feedback. And I, I once said to her, I said, look, um, can we talk about this later when you're not angry? And she's like, I am not angry. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. And she's like red in the face. Um, and it was, uh, I, I think we all have a, at least one family member, an in-law, someone who's like that, who doesn't, who's not aware of their emotions. Um, and that can, uh, if, if, so first of all, if you're someone who has a direct communication style, if that's the issue, say it to your employees, you have the emotional awareness, the self-awareness to say, Hey, look, I have a really direct communication style. Um, and when I say things, it's because I value making sure we get to the, that we save time, we get to right to the heart of the issue, but I'm also going to be really direct with my praise. You know, it works in both directions and then live up to that. Um, the, the other the other type who's got the lack of emotional awareness, gosh, that's just a hard boss. Um, uh, Sharon Bar-David um, is, uh, she's at, I believe, in Toronto. She's in Canada in any, any way. She has this great book called Trust Your Canary, and she has great advice if, um, if you've got uh, an abrasive leader right? And that's what you're describing there. And I, um, the book is really written for employees who have an abrasive leader. But if you think you might be an abrasive leader, it would be a great read. If you have lots of people, if you if you have to replace your administrative assistant every three months because they keep quitting, you might be one of those people, <laughs> right? You might want to pick up this book, Trust Your Canary. And she really looks at how to uh, get past those kinds of uh, um, uh, emotional explosions. Yeah. If somebody's just abusive, you either need to remove yourself or just accept that and and hopefully you're getting compensated in other ways, but if they're not going to change, and, and by the way, in many organizations, people who are highly abusive still get promoted because they're money oh, makers. And so, they do. you know, that's like, you know, having worked on Wall Street, I've seen it a million times. Now, Teresa, I want to, I want to ask you another piece of advice, which is that how do you deal with somebody that you give them feedback and they just don't seem to get it? I, I can think of a couple examples, people who worked for me in the past who did really bad things, you know, missed a deadline, didn't pick up their phone, completely ghosted. 
And I said to the person, I sat them down and I said, I want to have this conversation one time. What you did was very disappointing to me. This is, you know, completely beyond the pale. What's going on? Explain to me. And then they say, okay, well, you know, I had this circumstance. But then the same thing happens three more times. And you start to realize that the person simply doesn't seem to be accepting your feedback or they don't really care. Is it is it simply that this person just won't accept feedback or is there something else you can do beyond that to try to get it into their head what you're trying to say to them? Yeah, so I'm glad you gave an example. You know, there are two possibilities there, right? One is that the person isn't understanding that uh, they're, they're not understanding the feedback. So maybe someone thought, Oh, well, you know, I didn't know that I didn't realize that you meant I always need to pick up the phone when you call. I, I you know, I, I thought it was only when we had a deadline coming up. Like if we have a deadline tomorrow, I have to pick up. But you mean I always need to pick up the phone, right? So it could be that they don't understand, but they're not articulating that. Um, and uh, there's also research by Scherer and Schwab. They they had an article in HBR here in um, not too long ago about sugarcoating. And that is that uh, they, they they interviewed managers and employees and they asked the employees, what was your most recent feedback conversation like? And then they asked the managers, what did you mean to say, right? And what they found is that managers tended to sugarcoat their feedback, or at least that employees thought the message was much more positive than the message the managers meant to convey. So the managers are convinced they said X and Y and the Employee is like, well, they really said kind of a nice version of why, right? No, it's not so bad. So it could be that, that, that there, and, and by the way, the worse the feedback is, the greater the gap in the perception between employees and managers. So one of the takeaways from that is that we tend to sugarcoat and we don't realize it. I'm not saying that that's what happened for you, but that that often happens. Well, given the fact that I just told you I don't like giving negative feedback, Probably it might have happened. It might have happened. Right, right. And 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 to you, you might have felt like you were being super harsh. And the employee's like, huh, all right. Uh hmm, I'm not sh- quite sure what to take away from that. So one thing to do is to check for understanding. So after you've said, um, hey, look, I really need you to pick up the phone um, whenever I call, uh, you think you've said that super clearly, but you get to the end and you're like, okay, so what What are your top takeaways from this? And then have that person say back to you, here's what I heard. And that way you can clarify. They're like, no, no, what I really mean is I always need you to pick up the phone, not just the Thursday before a Friday deadline, but every time. Um, so checking for understanding is really good. And I even kind of joke, a language that I'll use is, I want to be belts and suspenders thorough what do you hear me saying, <laughs> right? And the other person kind of laughs after they get what the belts and suspenders means. And then, they, um, and then they're like, okay, well, here's what I think you're saying. And then I get a chance to clarify, right? Um, but if you think that the person is just being, you think that they understand, let's say you do that. Let's say you do the checking for understanding and you think that the person just is refusing the feedback. They're defensive. Um, uh, a couple of strategies. One, avoid why questions. When you're asked, when you're trying to find out, you know, so why didn't you pick up the phone? Instead of saying that, you could say, um, what what led you to ignore my call? Or what trade-off were you making? That's a nice one. What trade-off are you making when you decided not to pick up my call? And the other person's like, well, I I don't know. <laughs> but, but you're trying to learn what their thinking is, right? And then state your good intentions. Like, look, I... I want you to be successful at this job. And if I can't reach you, I can't help you be successful. Um, and so state, putting, attaching it to some good intentions that you have can help. Um, but I think all too often we sugarcoat and we don't realize it. So I think that checking for understanding and getting clarity before that person leave, leaves your office. I even know some managers, I, I interviewed someone at Expedia, and what she does is she has people send her an email after they get back to their desks. 
um, you know, when everybody was working live in the same office, send me an email. What did you hear me saying? Right. So that now we've both got it in writing. Here's what you're going to do differently. That is super smart. That is belts and suspenders. And for those of you who maybe don't know the term, so I, I, this is a legal term that you use in, in sort of legal negotiations. And it means basically if you don't want your pants to fall off and you're afraid your belt isn't going to work, you throw on some suspenders and you're sort of like, you're covering all the bases. So Therese, you're making sure not only will we be able to give good feedback, but we will have our pants on when we do it. All right. So the book is Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. The website is www.TheresHouston.com. Dr. Therese Houston, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Patrick. This is great. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO. FOMO.